When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the forum, the show where we learn more about Husker Nation one fan at a time by asking the same four questions. I'm your host, Honky, and t- our guest tonight is college football analyst for NU at Athlon Sports. He is a mental health advocate, defender of the fair shake, and a light speed lunatic. You can find him on Twitter at BCAV. Ooh, you can also fo- uh, not find him. He just fell off the, the screen here. What's going on? Well, when he gets back on the screen, Brandon Kavanaugh will be joining us. This is the beauty of live podcasting. Sometimes these things happen. My guess is he will try to click back on this and get into here. So, oh, here he is. And we're back. (laughs) We are back (laughs) with Brandon. What's up? (laughs) Uh, Well, my internet service just died for a hot minute. And uh, yeah, appropriately once we went live. Because of course it did. So, no, uh, very excited to finally be here. Um, finally got the opportunity to come on, was supposed to come on last week, but here we are and, uh, grateful for the opportunity as always, sir. Absolutely. Well, welcome to the forum, Brandon. And, uh, you know, before, uh, we get into all the questions and stuff, you know, I wanted to show you, this is an, an article that you wrote, oh, about a month or two back in Athlon. And it was about, uh, you know, rule filled hype, Matt rule filled hype. It was an article on why fans should be optimistic and without getting into the article yet, we can talk about that later. Just in general, how would you define yourself? Would you would you say you're an optimist? Would you say you're a realist? Are you a little bit of both? Uh, how would how do you define your fandom? Uh, I mean, as we are wont to do over the course of our lives, I think my my fandom has definitely like grown. It's definitely shifted and and all that kind of thing. I would say now, um, it's it's I I'm aware of like I I real about it. You know what I mean? It's like towards the, you know, towards the past couple of years, it's like we saw the same movies. Okay, fair enough. We knew how they were going to end. But with this, you kind of look at what's in place. You get kind of an idea of reasonable expectations and you kind of adjust as, as necessary. So in a situation like with what's been happening in Lincoln for, you know, the past several months now, that's encouraging. Um, it's obviously after you know what's happened in Lincoln for the past you know couple of decades, <laughs> it's it's really easy to be kind of like okay when's the shoe going to drop and things like that. But I kind of um, I kind of measure my expectations based on what I'm actually seeing. So if I have a reason to be optimistic, like totally. But I would say especially after you know w- what Nebraska's so been through, but <laughs> after the the trials and tribulations and everything, um, I, I would say I'm a little bit you know, more conservative right now, but like definitely um, enjoying what has been brought uh, and the, the energy that's been brought um, since Matt Rule's hire. Hmm. Well, on the red cast here, we call ourselves a Husker realism with an optimistic spin, which is a, the, the best way to just try to say, Hey, we, we cover a little bit of it all right. There well, you go. Uh, let's talk about a couple of the upcoming shows that we have, and then we're going to get into the forum. 
Uh, just announced here, we have a, a, about three of these planned now. Next Thursday night, April 20th at 8 p.m., we're going to have Dell Richmond on at Dell the Dude. So he's a proud Army dad and backyard barbecue pit master. He's the official uh, Twitter foodie of Husker Nation. Uh, after that, I've got a break. I'm actually going on vacation for about three weeks. And so uh, the fan form doesn't come back until Wednesday, May 10th. And that's when we have Jason from Huskerland on. And then also Wednesday, May 17th, we have the Boys Down Bad podcast there with the uh, the Herdat Network as well. And uh, they are the self-proclaimed number one Husker football recruiting podcast in the country. So looking forward to have them. They are also a, a group of younger guys. And as is uh, the Jason from the Heartland or Jason from Heartland, Huskerland, because, you know, one of the things with the what we're doing with the fan forum is we want to get a lot of people's perspectives from different age groups, eras, you know, men, women, young, old, that just doesn't matter. We want to get all of Husker nation and really represent it all. And so it's going to be good to get some, I think some youth onto this show. Uh, not everyone has to be my age. That's, that's on it. Um, after that alumni hall, two Lincoln locations, we, uh, they have been outstanding for us to work with, uh, downtown 1120 P street and then South point pavilions, uh, Redcasters, fan formers, go out there to alumnihall.com or go to those locations. Uh, take care, you know, get your Husker stuff there. Great people. And then last but not least, all this great gear that we're wearing, you can find our Redcast store that's in our description on our social media. You can also use the QR code here, Smack and Smooch, Shane and, and uh, Laura and Elwood. All right. If you hear a, a motor in the background, if you do, folks, that is a, my house is getting aerated right now. My yard is. So I don't know. I can hear it pretty good in, in my earphones, but it might not be as loud on the on the screen. Well, let's get to the form. And what is the form? It's these four questions, the same four every single uh, time for each uh, each of the people that we have on. Why are you a Husker fan? What is your favorite Husker fan memory? Who are your all time favorite Huskers? And how do you think the Huskers will do next year? So. Brandon, let's start with the first one. Why are you a Husker fan? Well, I mean, outside of my extremely lucrative career, which gives me such wonderful things like this very posh and lavish virtual background. Back when <laughs> I was, oh gosh, when was, I'll tell you when I was growing up for quite a while, I was really not a sports fan at all. My mom, you know, would travel and do like speaking tours and whatnot for work. And like, she'd go through Minneapolis, bring home some, like a Viking pennant or whatever. And I was like, okay, whatever. And I'm sure for some, Listener Sash watches, that's still kind of the, the case. But for me personally, um, I remember back in like, I think it was 1993 or some odd or 92. Um, I couldn't stand it because my grandma would come over to watch games with my dad and they would just be screaming their heads off. And I'm just a kid trying to live my life, have my weekends and everything. So you got all this noise going on downstairs. Like, what's up with that? Um, but obviously living in Nebraska, there's that huge cultural element. So finally, I'm like, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. Let's see what's going on. Having absolutely no idea what fo football's about, just throwing myself in head first. That was the 1994 season. So there was a hot minute where, honestly, to me, Nebraska just showed up. Maybe they'd smack people around, maybe kind of keep it close just to keep things interesting, and then eventually win. Um, I remember when they eventually lost to Arizona State in 1996, um, about halftime. Uh, you know, I was just kind of blown away. Like, what the, what is this? I can't, I can't imagine this is happening. I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to take a nap. And when I wake up, Nebraska will, of course, have won. And of course that didn't happen. Just jarred my little mind. Um, but I think why um, there was definitely like the element uh, that just goes so deep culturally within the state, obviously. Um, but there was definitely the element of 
sharing it with my dad. Um, he is unfortunately no longer with us. Um, but before he passed, we were able to hit up a, a number of a number of games. We had like, he went out of his way to put some money aside. And I think we went to four straight uh, seasons worth of home games and all kinds of stuff. So that really kind of kept things going. And um, eventually um, when it turned out that I wasn't that good at football and that wasn't going to work out, um, I decided to kind of mesh my enjoyment of writing with Husker sports and, you know, been doing that on and off for the past 18 years. Um, So it's kind of kept on and it's something that, you know, I've been able to connect with a lot of people with, make some great friends, great colleagues. Um, There's just been so much that really kind of blossomed from that. Hey, let's dive in and see what the heck this is about season. And, you know, here we are. So uh, I I was on mute there. So you don't hear this. Do you hear a a motor in the background right now? Uh, If I do, it's very faint. Okay, good. It's, It's really loud in my ear, but I'm hoping that the microphone does a good job of kind of cutting it out. Like I said, the, this is just the luck of everything, right? Your internet went out right at the beginning. In, in my yeah. case, the aerator guy that uh, was going to do our whole block, uh, he, <laughs> I thought yes. he was going to be done at like six o'clock. And uh, apparently our house, he got right to it here at eight o'clock right as we started. So anyways, um, that's aside from it. Your story is is not unlike a lot of ones that we hear. There's usually a parent or parents involved. or There's a family element to it. Uh, you grew up in the Omaha area, right? So mm-hmm. you're a metro. You're a metro kid. Um, from an, an age standpoint, I always kind of like to ask this, what was maybe the most formative year season of Husker football in your growing up? It gives me kind of a gauge of, of when you started, maybe age and everything, but like, what, you know, what was that first year you really remember? That was definitely like, if we're talking about kind of like what kind of got me into it, like that, definitely that 94 season, I like, I remember some of those games extremely well, whether it was like the kickoff classic and then all the way, all the way through the orange bowl. Um, <laughs> kind of a funny story. I actually got dumped prior to the 96 Fiesta bowl. So I was kind of having difficulty getting into that. And then just things kept going and going and going. I was like, eh, you know what? There's a lot of fish in the sea, but uh 95 definitely played a role. And then I remember um, then eventually going into high school around 97. So that long run of, of amazing excellence that we're probably not going to see again, um, like that definitely helped cement things. And I, I would have to say, especially, you know, with just kind of with the success or lack thereof that Nebraska has been experiencing uh, and just kind of the ups and downs that kind of, kept me there just being able to kind of get involved there so if i had to say like a particular season i'm gonna go back to that 94 one but definitely and i i mean it kind of goes without saying that 60 and 3 stretch i kind of cemented it if it didn't if it you know if anything else yeah for me it was in 83 was my formative year so the uh, scoring explosion and then you know i've just been a fan ever since and when you start your fandom in, with such success like that, like you mentioned, you know, you had a stretch. You don't know if we'll ever see it again. I don't know if any school will ever see that again. And I think that's sometimes – look, Nebraska's underperformed over the last 10 years, certainly, five years, six years for sure. But sometimes I hear people say, like, will we ever get back to where we were before? And sometimes we have to define that. Like, what do you mean? Do you just – I think Nebraska can absolutely get back to what we were before a nine, 10 win kind of program, a consistent national player. Absolutely. If 
do I think we're going to routinely get back to going 60 and three and winning, you know, three national championships and playing four national championship games and have four undefeated regular seasons in five years? You know, no, I mean, no, but Bama doesn't do that. And, you know, and uh, even what George's just did is amazing. Let's see if they can keep it up for another few years. And um, that's how amazing how, how coach Osborne finished, but, um, but I think we all expectation wise for the program is certainly to, to get back to being a national player, certainly get out of this, uh, the six year bowl slump. That's yeah, going sure. to a bowl would be nice, right? <laughs> That's a start, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go to question number two then. And what is your favorite Husker fan memory? Ooh, that, that is a tough one. Um, well, I'm going to do, I, I'm begging your pardon. I'm actually going to do a couple. I know I've been going back to this well quite a bit, um, but it meant a lot to me, honestly, was the opportunity to go with my dad, who, again, uh, he hasn't been with us since I was 25. Um, so I look back on all of those games very fondly. Um, I remember going back to the uh, 2009 Oklahoma game, that defensive battle. Um, there was a rather um, rough personal time there, too. Um, and a buddy of mine came along and says, hey, I've got these tickets. And I was feeling kind of down. But being able to share that was obviously big. Um one of the times that I will never forget of my professional career, um, I remember being down on the field when um, Nebraska was going toe-to-toe with Northwestern. There was a Hail Mary thrown. And as far as I knew, I was I just kind of, to be honest, I was like, this this is probably an L, you know, going to go back to the locker room. This is going to stink. Bo's going to be upset. Um the, the ball goes up and then just the entire place erupts. I have no idea what's going on for a minute. Ron Kellogg nearly runs me over with his flak jacket. I like just got out of the way. Um, I will never forget that as long as I live. So I would say those are probably the, the big ones. I mean, I can go back and so many um, from watching folks like, Oh, like, you know, David Carr and Josh Allen come through Lincoln and be able to say, oh, wow. Yeah, those guys are probably going to do okay in the NFL. There have been so many, honestly, magical moments through what I've been able to do that I'm very grateful for. Um, I don't really know that I can pick just one. I know that's kind of a cop out, but there's just there's been a lot of of very. um, Just just moments that have left a lot of a lot of uh, uh, positive impacts and and stuff that I definitely take with me, um, you know, into the present and no doubt beyond. Mm-hmm. Well, no doubt. And, and you mentioned there that uh, the Northwestern Hail Mary game, I'll, I'll never forget that I've mentioned that on this show because it's been brought up. It's one of those examples that people will have when they talk about great memories. And it was a great memory in that stadium. That was one of the few games I, I don't typically leave a game early. And I wasn't even supposed to go to that game. A buddy of mine had a ticket and he's like, do you want to go? And I go, I, I have to leave at half. If, even if I take the ticket, I don't, I, I don't want to go and leave at half, but he's like, I ah, just take it. It's free. So I take the ticket. And at halftime, I'm, I'm like, well, this is a good game, but I got to go. We sat in the South stadium. We were 20 rows up. I mean, that, it, that catch would have happened. I, I could have almost reached my hand out and probably helped Western camp make the catch. I mean, we felt like we were that close. And to think that that's where you know I could have been for it, you know, that's my memory of that. Although what a what an unbelievable uh, game there, and it's a great example of when Memorial Stadium is at at its best. It, that's a great memory for all fans to have. Dave on this show, he has always talked about the you need big moments like that. You need big wins, championships, and all that, but you just need big moments for fan bases where 
where we share, we have a shared collective, you know, positive moment together. And those are things that if you were a, a, if that would have been your formative moment, if you were, you know, a 10 year old at that time, think of how that would shape you as a Husker fan. You know, even if we're not having a winning season, if any kid went to the Michigan state game in 2015, when we beat them and that was top, they were top five, that would have been a great moment for a kid to have his first moment there. And those are the kind of things that, um, you know, I, I keep thinking about when when I ask this question about favorite memories. All right. Well, let's go to question number three. Who are your all-time favorite Huskers? Okay, so number number one, easy, Levante David. I mean, two years, and it was just, oh, my goodness, let alone what four years could be. Um, Dominican Sue. Um, Grant Wistrom was my first favorite. Um, you're seeing a trend with these. Uh, uh, Eric Crouch, who actually came out of Miller North, where I went to high school, where I had my short-lived football career. Um, it was great to see him do things because obviously there was a Miller North connection. Um, Amon Green, I loved. Um, I would say a, a lot of black shirts, honestly. I identified really well with, with defense just because there is, you know, like you say, the sc- scoring explosion. Like, yeah, nuts to see, right? All these points being put up. That's great. But you can't win if you can't score. So being able to see, you know, and Sue just absolutely chuck Cole McCoy around the field or Levante David start the complete 180. That was Joe Bowserman coming into the game and Nebraska winning against Ohio State. Um, just a lot of those defensive moments, um, I find, like, lead to the great moments, lead to those opportunities. Now, at the end of the day, you do have to score, of course. Mm-hmm. Um but I think I have an appreciation for defense um, and partially just because of the players. But I think that's actually where I started. I think it's actually where I started out personally when I had that opportunity. So when I was looking for inspiration, um, that's where I would go was to the black shirts in that tradition. Um, so that's kind of carry on ever since then. In fact, I will tell you, um, I do have a modest sports card collection. Um, my in, ter- in terms of football, at least I, my, my two, um, say biggest but my two i guess most prized areas of my collection one is alex gordon um the other is levante so mm. i've got a, i've got a little um little thing over there for for both of them so and levante just seeing what he's done especially in the league not to say indomitian hasn't done well or any former husker but just seeing what levante's done and now he's coming back for another season i mean dude's a legit hall of famer i mean if there's you know if there was any doubt he's going to go in another another season do it all over again um, it's, it's been a treat to see all those guys. And, you know, people ask me, Hey, who's your NFL team? I honestly don't have one. <laughs> I kind of enjoy, I enjoy players. Like I can enjoy, um, you know, Levante David or Dom Kinsu, or even, you know, outside of that with what since he's got going on with Zach Taylor and Cam Taylor Britton, all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. so, but I will say like at the end of the day, I will definitely be like, oh, you know, what's Cam Taylor Britt up to? You know, what's this guy up to, that guy up to? So that's really my connection with the league. Um, I do like, I mean, hey, I play fantasy football too, you know, whatever. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, like that, that ends up being um, my connection kind of all over. Like even in the NBA and the MLB, it's like, okay, what's Isaiah Roby doing? What's, you know, what's uh, McGowan's doing? What's, you know, all, you know, just all of them, whether even it's a high level, you go down even to the minors or whatnot. Um, just being able to find that connection, like that's the, the initial connecting point. Right. Um, and then it just kind of all goes from there, I think. Yeah. It's, I think it's important to have connections to those teams. My football team is the Houston Oilers and they, they ceased to exist 25 years ago. So I'm a free agent. And to your point, 
a lot of times the team I ended up rooting for is just the one that would have the the best Husker contingent on it. For a while there, when Sue got drafted by the the Lions, and I think they still had Rayola. Uh, Vandenbosch might have been over there. I think one of the Bullocks. I mean, there was a point where it's like, oh, you know, well, I can root for the Lions. I can watch them because there, there's interest points in that. You know, when David and Sue were together with the Buccaneers, that was amazing. That was I mean, gorgeous. to see two guys like that, two of the top players at their positions in the pros, you know, playing on the same D there. And, you know, I even go back way back into the, the 80s and 90s and stuff. I was a 49ers fan. And, I mean, who wasn't at that time? They were winning championships. But your backfield is is Rathman and Craig. And you even had, uh, you know, Jamie Williams at tight end. I mean, that was an amazing span there uh, for Huskers. And the reason I got into the Oilers to begin with was uh, they had Steinkuhler on it. And then uh, Mike Rozier joined them for a while. And I was like, ah, you know, they wear powder blue. They don't beat anybody. Uh, they're a fun team to watch. Why not? You know, they yeah. don't hurt anyone. Absolutely. And, uh, that's how I kind of got into to to doing the the Oilers there. But, anyways, yeah, I I, uh, I agree with kind of with, with what you're saying there. I mean, it's it's the the players are the 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 history of the players here. That is what it draws me in. And you talked a lot about the defense. And I think about when I think defensive history history here at Nebraska. And you think of the uh, the Osborne years. We never gave up 50 points in a game. Ever. No Osborne team ever gave up 50. So when I was at the Colorado game in 2001, that that really changed the course of the the next 20 years and hopefully is now in the past. Hopefully this this is the changes this last offseason. We are now going to be talking about a new future of of Nebraska football. But um, but at least these last 20 years have been shaped by that game in Colorado. And when they hit 50 points, I just remember I was like, I've never seen this. I was 24 years old at the time. I was like, I've never seen uh, a, an opponent ever have that many points on the scoreboard. And then, of course, it kept growing. It went up into the 60s. And, um, you know, no uh, no other – you know, Crouch put up 36 points, I think, that game, and, and we lost on the road at CU. You shouldn't lose that way. And, you know, Tommy Frazier never had to play against 60 points. And, and Turner Gill never had to play against 60 points. All these great players we had never had to see that on the on the other side. So – Getting our defense back to that kind of level again is, is I think, any kind of uh, any success we're going to have moving forward. We've got to get back to having that black shirt defense. And I think you like. I really, really enjoy the hire of Tony White. I think you see mm-hmm. a lot of energy there. And I think again, like a lot of young guys, uh, whether it's Knighton or Cooper, just I, I'm really loving kind of the youth movement. And going back to your point, I love a good story. Everybody likes a good story. How fitting would it be from that 62? That, that just that that 62 points being poured on like you say that that stunning moment that was honestly surreal to me too to be honest with you mm. from that going back to boulder <laughs> to get to get no. that opportunity i mean that's a hot ticket rule versus sanders i mean you can't yep. i mean that's a gorgeous story there's going to be a lot going into that game so um i'm looking forward to that well, you know what? This is a perfect segue. Let's just get into question number four then. Yes. And how do you think the Huskers will do this year? Uh, it starts, the season starts with two road games. Uh, so we'll, on a Thursday night, August 30th or 31st, we'll be at Minnesota. That's a huge, important Big Ten West game. And then we, the next weekend, go to Boulder and, and we we coach against Coach Prime. Um, you know, this is a, it's a big season for us. It's the first year of Coach Rule. He's he's implementing his system and everything. How much do you think can get done in this offseason? And and uh, what are your expectations kind of going into next year? So I'll, I'll put it this way. It's not impossible, 
but it takes a lot of effort to put in the kind of work and have the commitment that this staff and this program now has and do terribly. Um, again, not impossible, but uh, no, I, I will say this too. It's like when you, when you combine the work and the effort and the, the pride that's clearly being taken here, um, and you combine that with now the resources that Matt Rule has now that all due respect to Temple and Baylor, he, he did not have. This is mm-hmm. a situation where, I mean, again, all due respect, Ells, Temple is Temple, and that was a complete turnaround. Yes, uh, Adazio had some good years, but still. Um, and then when you look what he came in to do at Baylor, nuts. I mean, that turnaround, insane. Um, but when you look at the resources of Nebraska, a dormant brand, but a brand nonetheless, um, and you were mentioning coming up to being a national power again, I think that's very viable. I think that's something that folks should rightfully expect, especially when you're paying a fellow $9 million a year, you kind of expect that sort of return on investment. Um, but as far as what we're going to see um, this upcoming season, it's it's tough, right? I mean, do we even really know what, what's going to happen in Lincoln, you know, a week or so from now in the spring game? Um, but not to be, not to use that as a cop-out answer. Um, I don't really know what's going to happen in Minnesota. I'm really curious to see what happens in Colorado, but at the end of it all, um, I think a bowl game is a very realistic goal. Um, I think that's what you're going to see. Now, when in the winter months, <laughs> that is, who is sponsoring the game, sure. uh, that, I, that I, I cannot pin down. But it would not shock me at all, and I think it's a very valid goal um, to expect a postseason. Because, yeah, it's mm. the first year, but let's be honest here, too. It's The Big Ten West is still the Big Ten West, and this is going to be – you know, they've got this opportunity to exploit it. I mean, let me use this, let me use that word, you know, very candidly. Um, so there are, there's going to be the opportunities. Um, there's, there's going to be those, those defining moments, like you said, Minnesota, Colorado, mm-hmm. Michigan, like there's going to be those opportunities, but I think ultimately, regardless of how things start and we'll, you know, again, up in the air, but as long as they can finish strong, I think once they get into that stride, kind of similar to, um, to 2018, they had that great back end of the season. There, there, mm. there was all that energy and effort. I think if they're able to at least have that, maybe not necessarily lose the first six, um, <laughs> but I think there's enough um, talent and energy and opportunity to become bowl eligible. And even if you're on the cusp, look, at the end of the day, uh, Fox and ABC and those types, like they, they rule the roost. So when you see a Nebraska team that can bring money and bring eyeballs, like you don't just shrug it off because this, despite the irrelevancy that has been going on for a while, there's still money there. And it, you know, like I say, at the end of the day, like that's what, that's what moves the needle. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of unknowns with next season. There's no doubt about that, but the same token, you have to get some momentum going early. And that's the thing, you know, Frost in year one, you you mentioned it, the 0-6 start, that was that was painful there. Now, I think we could make a lot of arguments if we were trying to make a direct comparison. Where were we at as a program, as a roster? Think of the quarterback position that Frost had going into that that season. You basically, with Jebbia leaving a week before the season, you know, and I'm not sure if you heard this, Joe Burrow kind of wanted to come here apparently, and we didn't go after him, blah, blah, blah. We end up with a – yeah. We don't go hard after getting Vedral, uh, uh, you know, the waiver. So that wasn't in place. And by the time we're, we're kicking off against Troy in week two with an injured Adrian Martinez, Andrew Bunch 
was starting. And, and to think about where we're at right now, I'm not trying to crap on that season. I'm trying to make the comparison to right now in spring ball where you have Jeff Sims and Casey Thompson. Uh, Thompson's nursing the injury, but to have two guys that have extensive P5 starting experience right now. And then you have Chubba Purdy, who's started a game at Florida State. You have Logan Smothers, also nursing an injury there, started a game at Nebraska against against Iowa. There's four guys that have at least started a P5 game. You also have Harvard. You also have uh, you know uh, Torres. And even the, the, the kid, I can't think of his name now, that transferred here from Ole Miss. And it's like, whoa, at least – just that's just one position, but that's a different situation, at least to be in in 2023 versus 2018, trying to find some kind of you know areas of where the comparison is. But you kind of hit on something and, and you talked about the effort of the coaching staff. And I wanted to highlight a tweet you, you gave here, and I thought this was a good one. This is from March 21st, and it was a photo from the Huskers account, and they, you know, they're practicing, it's dark outside. And you say, Not gonna lie, I'm all about early morning football. 4 30 a.m. can be fun on occasion. And it's the idea that it's that effort that you mentioned. And it's consistent with when Trev said, I want a grinder at this position. And then Rule comes in, I'm going to be a grinder. And the first day that he's on the job, he's taking photos of Memorial Stadium at six o'clock. And it's just this idea that this is no one thinks this is going to be easy. You know, there's going to take a lot of work. But I, I think the one thing that that's exciting me is that I'm seeing those guys put in the work. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, like you say, it's a, it's a shift, you know, call it whatever you want a rebuild, whatever Mm -hmm. it it is, what it is. I mean, the the foundation is being laid, you know, it's called a rebuild. Like, I think that's being kind, honestly. Um, But again, like, yeah, it is going to be a a definite shift in culture and the way things are done. Um, But again, by the same token, like I say, when you've got folks coming in, I remember, um, you know, right when rule was starting and like you say those tweets were coming out early i you know had my notifications on i was like who the heck is this oh it's matt rule okay um (laughs) it was insane i'm like okay well you know what i guess there you go he's walking the walk um yeah and i will say about that picture too like i have been up at 4 30 and been like oh hey this is kind of cool but just the idea of actually being out there at that time like yeah like getting up at 4 30 a.m in in general it doesn't sound like a great time but i don't know if like if you're passionate about that kind of thing and you want to be out there and you want to do it again i think that's where you definitely see um definitely where you're understanding okay who wants to be here and who doesn't mm-hmm. um that's where you find out who's truly passionate and yeah i'm i'm really curious to see how it all you know comes out in the wash but again i mean you've got coaches just going in and really astounding uh, folks who they're in attendance with, you know, going around the state, who they're recruiting, um, the relationships they're they're making all over the country, and you're really starting to see players. I, I think already buy-in. I mean, mm. of course, there was going to be the the initial jump to the transfer portal, kind of, sorta. Um, unfortunately, Ernest Hausman went to Michigan. Um, Would have been fun to see him return, obviously, but say hello. Yep. Um, but it's it's really going to be interesting to see not only how Nebraska finishes the spring, um, but definitely you know keep an eye towards the transfer portal i you know there's obviously there's a lot of spots that need to be shifted for whatever purpose um but i'll be curious to see not only how the team looks after uh after the spring game but even after you know into summer and then coming around towards uh towards kickoff there may be some notable faces coming around that could play a major role Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're at 98 scholarships right now, mm-hmm. meaning that we have to lose 13 just to get down to 85. I think it's completely conceivable after the the semester that 
we could see some portal movement incoming, you know, a couple of guys. Although, you know, I think that's one thing that um, hopefully we're not, that's not going to have to be a big trend. I don't think that this year, I don't think that they're, they may very much spot pick one or two positions where they feel they need a little bit extra depth. But for the most part, hopefully we're not seeing a big insurgence of new guys coming in after the spring. And, and if there's anything with uh, rule wanting to be this developmental program, and developmental program, what that means in today's day and age is can you at least get him for an offseason? Mm-hmm. He's talked about how important practice is in spring ball, and it would be, you know, really kind of goes against all that if you're going through all this just to bring in guys after the after the fact. You really have to be low at a spot. And we, we may have a spot or two that could be low enough that they need to do that. But as of right now, they're at 98 scholarships. And really the, the issue actually is the other way, which is kind of a unique position for a new coaching staff to be. Part of the reason is, as you mentioned, I, I agree with you on Houseman. That one, I'm from Columbus, and that one hurt for a number of reasons. But a, but a short of that, I kind of was ex- expecting this mass exodus because that's what you see when new coaches come in. I mean, you can even have what Prime did in Colorado and just have him come into the, the locker room and say, get the hell out. I mean, he didn't exactly say that, but he wasn't far off either. Um to have as many guys come through, come back and go through this whole process, this whole semester, that is a real credit, I think, to Coach Rule and the staff that they're treating players right and that they want to give these guys a chance and, and new set of eyeballs on them. Uh, we had Coach Glenn Snodgrass on last week and from York High School. He's a high school coach who was at the coaches' clinic, went to the practice, all that. He's also a, a parent of a player on the team. So he kind of you know has dual hat, uh, hats there. And, you know, he mentioned, you know, just – how the the coaching staff treats the players, treats the parents, treats the coaches. Um, when they were at a practice, he had his wife with him, and and Matt Rule made a point to bring Garrett out of a drill to walk Garrett over with him as he talked with the family during a practice. Matt Rule does this, and Matt Rule's talking them for 10, 15 minutes, and it's just one. And Garrett's like, I want to get back into you know the drill, but. You know, it was just it was a family moment as much as anything. And it's just that's kind of the way that he's operating. And so, you know, that's part of, I guess, the culture and all that that's that's going on. I know that's an overplayed word, but that's part of this this first offseason, too, is is getting that built. Totally. And that's the thing about those those moments. Like you say, they are impactful, but they also don't take a long time to actually do. So when you when you step aside, like, okay, take them out of drill, talk, so on and so forth, get back in there. What is that? 15 seconds, 20 seconds, and you can Mm -hmm. make, I mean, so much can be done there. And that's what I really appreciate about the staff and even coach rule. They just are very meticulous and detail oriented. Um, Being able to do, you know, those small little steps, it's, it's just that drip, drip, drip. And eventually like that's going to pay dividends down the road. So even if there's not something immediate, even if things don't work out in that particular relationship, there's a lot of positive things that are setting up, not just through, like you say, let's say, you know, Let's say let's say somebody leaves, um, but there's still a good relationship there. So not only maybe do you have the player feeling good about it, the parents still do. If anybody comes around, say, "Hey, what do you think about this person?" Oh no, they were really cool. So you know, so on and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. Being able to have those positive relationships, forge those, and then just kind of through networking, um, especially when you've got recruits, coaches, and so on and so forth, like that does so much positive, um, not just in the immediate, but then also down the road as well. Yeah, I, I think of what coach frost stepped into let's go back to 2018 for a second um at the end of the day losses are losses and and whether they're blowouts or not i mean the record is is what it is but he was stepping into a program that was at that time getting blown out and you go back to the 2017 season some of the 
biggest worst blowouts I've seen. The way we played against Minnesota and Iowa and Ohio State wasn't pretty. The last five years, we've lost every conceivable way to everybody. It just doesn't matter if you're a big opponent or or if you were, you know, Georgia Southern or, or Troy. We've lost a, just a maddening amount of games, but they've all been these extremely close games for the most part. It's been a very rare blowout. You mentioned detail-oriented is what the staff is. And I guess in some ways I'm thinking like, what would I, if, if this could be a faster turnaround, if it is, if we don't have to, if we don't have to come from so far back, I mean, if we are really, let's say we were this close. Now this close means something different to each person, but like we lost all these games by this much and they were for a ton of reasons, but a lot of them were detail-oriented reasons. We weren't getting pushed over. We weren't getting outpowered. It wasn't that we didn't have the talent to beat a lot of those teams. We were, I mean, it, the details were just mind boggling between penalties and turnovers and, and all those things, punting it to the wrong side of the field. Mm. Um, maddening. If we can get the details down, even in year one, in year one, if we can get the details down. Do you, I don't put ceilings on this program. Do you have a ceiling that you say, I, there's no way this team can win more than this. No, absolutely not. Um, again, I feel like I feel a bowl game is definitely a, mm -hmm. a relevant and a, a, he's going to not relevant, but I think it's a realistic goal. Um, I am not going to because I don't feel there's a point in doing that. Why would like why personally me? It's like, why would I say, oh, no, you can only do so good. Um, mm -hmm. No, as far as what's been what, you know, had been happening, like, yeah, it was impressive, like not in a good way, but it was impressive. <laughs> um, and and uh, no, but like you said, what you say is correct. And and I really think, again, you know, as we, we both know, and think a lot of you know fans of any sport, um, when you've got a team and they're taking on that personality of a coach and of a coaching staff. So if you've got um, a guy or a lot of guys that are very detail-oriented and meticulous and making sure they're dotting the I's and crossing the T's, you get that floating over into a team as a whole. So when you have those opportunities, ideally, you know, that's ideally that's not happening, but it would not shock me in the least if there were far fewer of those opportunities where you just think, what, is this like a really elaborate joke? Uh, what, what, is, what is this? Um, but no, there were th those, those losses and y'all know which ones I'm talking about were especially maddening. Um, and unfortunately it got to a point where it was like, yeah, I've seen this movie before. I know how it ends. Um, I mean, I remember even in not even last season going back to, to 2021, just going into Illinois. I remember chatting with somebody I said, they're going to lose that game. And sure enough, and it, you know, going on into Northwestern, felt very confident in saying that. Sure enough, and then even with Georgia Southern, I was like, maybe, but and and I yeah. didn't know with one hundred percent. But again, I wasn't shocked when it happened. Um, I, I think if nothing else, that's the kind of thing you see a one eighty on. I, I don't think there's any reason why mm -hmm. that can't happen, and that's the kind of thing that positive um, positive things from, can grow from that. Whether or not that translates into wins, I don't know. Um, but again, I think there's a lot of things that are um, positively building on each other. And yeah, there, there's a, there's a long way to go. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think anybody who's, I don't think anybody's denying that. And if they are, I, I think they know what's really happening here. Um, but I think what's important though, is regardless of kind of how record may be, you know, what bowl game they may or may not go to. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity for in the immediate for Nebraska to be a team that folks enjoy watching, you know, not only Nebraska fans, but other folks and, and, but specifically not in ways that Nebraska fans aren't enjoying it, but everybody else is. Um, I think that opportunity to be uh, highly entertaining, 
uh, for the home team, that's something that can be turned around right away. Um, yeah, and like I say, there's going to be moments where, oh yeah, this is this is year one, sure. But there's also going to be some really fun moments. Um, I think that a lot of Husker fans will look back on and say, yeah, that was actually pretty fun. I enjoyed that. Uh, yeah, and, and areas where you see hopeful, hopefully some immediate improvement in, in certain areas, and there's going to be some schematic differences as as well. But I think of three games over the the Frost era, and they were all three wins. But if you look at the statistics of when we beat Rutgers in 2020 that December game. If you look at the stats of when we beat Illinois in 2019, when Wandell had his breakout game. And then when you see the statistics of the 2021 Northwestern one, where everything came together and we beat them 49 to seven. If you look at the stats, at least the, the yardage stats, the, the yardage differential between us and the opponent, they're almost all the same. And what that Northwestern game was, was we didn't have a bunch of fumbles and turnovers and penalties and special teams. Wasn't a complete disaster for us. Um, you know, against Rutgers, I think we had a, a fake punt go against us that they they ran their punter ran it on a you could have timed it on a calendar and he got the first down and then they kicked it to Chris Shank or Crunkshaft or whatever his name was and he returned it for a touchdown and they're the same stats we we blow these guys out have 300 400 more total yards than than the opponent and in one game you win by 42 points and the other games you're winning by seven and like four points and you're just, you're hanging on to dear life that's you are. To be able to out yard a team by three, four hundred yards, to be able to do that, you're doing something right. But then to be such a close game with them, you're doing a whole lot of things wrong. And it's those details. And can we get those things cleaned up? I agree with you. I don't put ceilings on this program. And what I've been saying this offseason is I'm calling it the race to six. How fast can we get to six wins? And it, it gives me a lot of freedom here because we can. I mean, according to what I'm saying, we could be six and zero, right? I mean, who knows? And we also could be five and six with Iowa coming to town, and that's okay. Get to six, beat Iowa at home, get a second straight win over the Hawkeyes, and let's get to that bowl game. It's important to get there. I think that's a tangible evidence of uh, of progress that's being made. And when I think of six and six, it, not only should we not look down upon that as Husker fans, not 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 because of, I mean, look, we haven't been to a bowl game in six years. I get it. But like historically, let's say you're the historic Husker fan that's like, I'll never be happy with six and six. I get it, but it is tangible evidence of improvement. And when I think of what Nick Saban did at Alabama in year one, went six and six, you know, lost to Louisiana Monroe at the end of the year, uh, you know, and Pete Carroll did the same thing the first couple of years at USC. Uh, Bob, Bob Stoops had a seven and five season at Oklahoma before uh, the unbelievable, remarkable second year undefeated year that they had. I mean, that's not unheard of. If we go six and six this year, that's not a sign that that uh, you know the guy failed either. Um, just getting some, we've got to get some momentum going, and uh, momentum can look in a lot of ways. But one of them is getting that bull, that bad bull streak ended. How about beating a Wisconsin that we haven't beat in seven years? I mean, how or eight tries or whatever it's been. How good of a feeling was it last year to beat Iowa and end that streak? Just ending a streak. It's amazing uh, what that does for the uh, the psyche. It really does. And and to to your point, um, yeah, I, I don't think there's a fan base, uh, especially on a, on a, a larger brand on a, on a national level. They're like, oh yeah, six and six, cool. We're we're cool with that. No, but by the same token, I think it's important, especially um, when looking at Matt Rule's rebuilds in the past and kind of like turning things yeah. around. It's very, I think, I think Husker fans would do well to look at this from a macro level, like basically look at it like a three-year plan. Um, mm-hmm. It is all about building. It is all about reps. So yeah, you know, six and six, 
like you said, breaking the streak. Awesome. But it's more importantly, being able to get those extra practices, being able to get those extra reps, like that's invaluable. So regardless of where you go, regardless of if you're a tree port or what have you, um, as long as you're getting that extra time in and continuing to build, that's the important thing. So, I mean, and again, who knows, like you said, um, it could be an amazing beginning of the season. It could be terrible. Who knows? But at the end of the day, yeah, I, I think six wins again, I keep saying it, but I think it's a, a very valid goal. I think it's a very attainable goal, especially in, you know, the, the Big Ten West final hours. Um, I think it's a good opportunity. Like, I think things are lining up very well for that possibility where maybe they wouldn't have before. Maybe there's folks that maybe couldn't have capitalized on it or just maybe things are lining up well. Maybe it's finally uh, a stroke of good luck. Like, hey, finally, karma's finally coming back around. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it. And yeah. if we have any of that luck and, and that good karma and everything, I think it really starts with, to me with, with Trev. And when Trev got hired here two years ago, that if there's really a pinpoint in time, if this, if we're having the same discussion 10 years from now, and we're talking about a great 10 last 10 seasons, you know, we, we're, uh, we're routinely playing for conference championships, making playoffs. We're, do, we're back to where Nebraska should be. So if we're if we're having that discussion in reverse, I would point back to the moment that Trev took over, and it, it's what it's not immediate. Um, you know, there's a lot of people I know back in in 2021 that say you know Frost should have been let go then, and I I've always said his record earned it. He he deserved to be let go in 2021, but I think that there's a lot of things for Trev to learn in 2022 that may benefit us now. Not to mention the fact that we wouldn't have had Coach Rule. If Coach Rule brings us to, to great success, that wouldn't have happened if uh, if we had made changes a year earlier. But I think Trev, he formulated a lot of his thoughts, what he wanted in this program, when he kind of created, like, we're going to have a mission and a vision and all these things. I think it was based off of everything he had seen over that year and a half up to that point. And, and he was able to communicate that so well on the day that he fired Frost, where he's like the, the grinder speech. We want someone that's going to, we're going to, we're going to win in the trenches. That's what we've got to be able to do. You know, you've got to not have hobbies. All those things were very important. He clearly walked through the, the halls and saw, you know, an empty training table instead of having a team full there of it. And by the time rule gets hired, what's one of the first thing rules talking about? Hey, let's, we're going to eat together. We're going to have the, the guys, you know, that's one way that we're going to build that teamwork. And you can just see this alignment. I guess, but you know what, maybe that's the, the connection there to your article. And, um, and it was your February 21st article, and you said uh, Nebraska football, three reasons for optimism uh, for the corner screws in 2023. And point number two was the alignment, that everyone was on the same page. Yeah, I, guess, I mean, if, I just said all that. I mean, what's your take on on th that same page, that alignment? Yeah, just, I mean, just kind of going back to that, I, you know, I, I challenge folks, like, look over the past 20 years. Look from really when Frank was let go. If Steve Peterson was going to make that move, I think it's obvious 2002 was the time, right? Sure. Um, just very poorly handled, which, you know, it, it was what it was. But if you look back from that point on, okay, when did you have an opportunity where you had an AD and an administration and a coach that were all on the same page? I, yeah, I defy yeah, anybody to point it out, right? Um, but but now, like you said, I, I fully appreciate everything that Trev did from – you know, coming in the door again, he's been pretty meticulous as well. And I yeah. think that kind of shows it as well, but very, very specifically um, in this case, the, the search, the way it was conducted leaks were kind of more or less, not a thing. There was a ton mm -hmm. of speculation, obviously. Um, but it, it 
I understand it was long, but I appreciate when you take the time and do due diligence and have the ability to finish strong. And at the end of the day, that's what happened. And out of everybody that was available, um, Matt Rule was high on my list from the get-go. If he was available, he was available. And yeah, I mean, you know, Trev made the hire. And like you said, should things go well, you look back to him, absolutely. Not just as the guy who made that hire, but the guy who set things in motion, much like wrapping back around, um, you know, Rule having the opportunity to set things in motion again. If they do well, you look back to kind of these moments when the players are eating at the trading table, when they are doing this, doing that, just a little stuff. We we look back to this point and say, okay, this is where it started. Um, but yeah, it's important, like whatever you're doing, whether it's any kind of relationship, whether it's just friends or, or romantic relationships or business situations, especially business, is you got to have everybody on the same page. You're pulling in different directions ain't not much going to get done. So when you're <laughs> able to, when you're able to say, okay, person on this level wants a, this person that wants a, so on and so forth. And we have, you know, folks have a clear vision of whatever you want to do, whatever your team looks like when you are able to all be pointed in the same direction and you've got everybody, you know, not everybody's talking over each other where, you know, everybody's mm-hmm. good to go. Yeah. And that has not been a thing in literal decades. Yeah. Well, and, if we're going to have that success over the next 10 years, it's also going to take recruiting. And I want to show some of this. I mean, because this is literally in the last couple of days, um, we've had more 2024 in-state news. Uh, we got our first in-state commit, Ashton Murphy from Elkhorn South, and then tight end Eric Ingwerson of Papillion Vista, uh, current pit commit. Well, he just got offered by Nebraska as well. And that's in addition, we have, a, I think it's like another six guys from in-state that already have offers too. So similar to last season, we're already at about eight on the in-season or in-state uh, uh, offer list. And that can only go up, uh, I think, as uh, more players get get seen, which that's a great thing. Um, on top of that, I wouldn't be doing our YouTube algorithm any any good if I didn't mention Dylan Rayola. Dylan Rayola. Yeah, Dylan Rayola. Just say yeah. it a couple times. Yes. It will get 3,000 more views, right? But, go. you know, here's an article that you wrote about that, the great recruiting weekend from a month ago. And him coming up here and the, the other five stars and the four stars and all the big, the big name guys. But it was just that's a lot of work that this coaching staff has been putting in in a short period of time. And, you know, it hasn't necessarily led to all oh, everyone committing yet here and signing on the dotted line. But the, the connections that they're making, I mean, that, there's a lot of value there. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and, you know, whether you're talking about Dylan, what are you talking about in state? Like these, again, they're all different levels towards the same goal, kind of. Um, with regards to in-state recruits, I mean, obviously, regardless of your school, if you're a big time program, you have to win in state. I mean, that's yep. given we've said it a thousand times. M- Miller North wasn't too bad there. Right. And we not, got some good players, not <laughs> too shabby. Um, but yeah, but yeah. And especially with Dylan, I mean, nobody, I think genuinely knows what's going to happen with Dylan, except Dylan. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we can, we can all speculate it's, but I, I mean, we can definitely say, if Matt rule isn't here, this isn't a conversation. It's probably USC or or Georgia and and that's it. Um, But the, the thing is like, they are now having the high caliber athletes come in and actually pay attention. Now, obviously if big, if Dylan Royola were to commit, that is a huge, huge thing. It just, it's a, and I kind of wrote about this. It's, it's a giant signal to all major recruits that, Hey, you know what? Yeah. It's a rough go. Things are looking kind of rough, but you know what? I'm willing to sign on to this program that has struggled this much 
other folks are going, Hey, maybe this is something I want to be a part of. Maybe I sure. too want to be the man. Um, but yeah, no, that'll be curious to see how that, uh, how that plays out. And honestly, regardless how it plays out, I mean, in the era of the transfer portal, I mean, let's be realistic about it. Even if uh, Dylan is not in, um, is not in Lincoln, you know, before too long, it could be maybe a year or two before he, I mean, again, things, things work out in, in different ways, but it'll be curious if he is not in Lincoln to see if like, that's a thing a year or two from now. We'll see. And that's one of the reasons when I, when I showed the, the recruiting there was that I wanted to show both in-state guys and then also, Hey, the big, the big five-star kid. Right. And it's what it is, is it's this balance. Um, Nebraska football is at its best historically. I, I can't think of a time when it wasn't like this. It's at its best when you get some great players from all over the country, but boy, you better have a real strong contingent of players from local too. just from a toughness standpoint. Uh, you, you can build your lines. You can build a lot of things with those local area kids. One of the worst things over the course of the last 20 seasons where, when we haven't always been as, as good when I've seen other teams come into Lincoln and beat us with our players, with our Nebraska kids, that's been, that's, those are the worst moments for me where I'm like, how did we lose that kid? How did, how did Harrison Phillips who didn't never played against us, but how did we lose him, you know, to, uh, to Stanford? And I know how, but the, why this shouldn't be happening. And you know, the Noah fans and you go down the list to see this staff treat those kids with the same kind of effort and, and dignity. And, and I don't care if you're a two-star, three-star, whatever, I'm going to go after you as hard as I'm going to go after Rayola. Um, I think that's where we're going to be at our best. And when I think about the, you know, the 94 team, you mentioned the, you know, that, that team there, when I think of that defense and you've got, you know, Ed Stewart lining up next to Phil Ellis, you know what I mean? It's just, it's, that's what Nebraska football is. It's guys that are from Terry Keneally from Hyannis lining up next to, to Dwayne Harris from Bessemer, Alabama. And it's just Nebraska when when we're at our best, we can, we can get guys that are eight man, 11 man, local dudes. We'll, we'll beat you in the tough games. And in the cold games, and we'll also beat you with the speed. We'll have the corners and, and the, the receivers and, and running backs, and we'll be able to beat you at, at, at about any game that you want to play against us. And so that's what I, I really like what I'm seeing, at least with the recruiting effort here. I love hearing about quarterbacks getting hit in practice. I love physical practices, 4.30 in the morning, 4.30 in the afternoon. I mean, you can't knock it. I, I mean, you, you can, but – A fullback. Um, I love it. Hey, I mean, look, again, you know, people can say it and immediately ears perk up, but like, I think it's actually going to be a thing now. It will be. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and the interesting thing that I, I, well, I am curious about is, you know, this is a staff that loves two-way players. Good news, folks. I mean, obviously you have to, you know, warn an, an offer in the first place. And again, you have to lock down the state, but I'm really curious to see what, you know, see if they, they explore those, those, um, those two-way player options, you know, in eight-man, six-man, so on and so forth. Um, yeah, like you say, I mean, regardless of who you are, if you've got the abilities and you can fill a role, absolutely. Um, and like you said, there is a certain lifeblood. You know, obviously, you don't just offer a person to offer them ideally. Um, but no doubt there yeah. is talent within state borders that, one, it, you know, ha has, has uh, you know, power five talent is able to be developed into power five talent at the very least. Um, mm -hmm. And that wants to be in Lincoln. Like you said, there are, you know, there was the Noah fan at the Harrison and again, Stanford education aside. I mean, come on. Um, 
but you look at folks that you're like, you know, not that long ago in comparison would, yeah, it would be, you know, it'd be a lock. Right. But now you've got players saying, well, actually I would like to do well and maybe go to the NFL. Um, and I respect that. Full disclosure. Yeah. I totally respect that. Um, but yeah, once I think once you see that shift, and I think we saw it a little bit at the very least with Malachi Coleman, um, you're starting to see those kids saying, oh, yeah, I don't have to go very far. And these guys kind of know what they're doing. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day with that, like winning cures all right. Um, sure. Whether it's fan apathy, you know, in the moment or whatever, because I mean, you know, the Kool-Aid runs out. The, the smoke eventually dissipates and we get down to, okay, they've gone three and out for the first time. This guy is clearly a failure. But in terms of, you know, just being able to put wins on there and sh- like show people, Hey, you know what? We, we, we talk it because we can follow it up and we can actually, you know, put the results up there. Um, obviously that's going to be the, the biggest impact. Um, but yeah, no, it'll be curious to see, if slash how long it'll be until you get that. Oh, well, I'm a Nebraska kid. Well, obviously I'm going to go to Nebraska. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Cause that has been missing for, for a bit. Yeah. We get it with a few kids still, but, but that's, it's certainly not a guarantee anymore. And, and the other guarantee is, you know, they're definitely not going to come here if you don't ask. And some of the names that we even have, you know, thrown out here, it's, it's amazing if you don't show them a lot of attention because they're just in-state kids. I mean, that was we've done this show long enough. We started it in 2017. We've done it long enough that that was the narrative when we first started doing the show was Nebraska doesn't have talent. I can very clearly remember having that discussion online and with people about Nebraska doesn't. Yeah, you, you got to go other places. recruit. You, you just can't get your talent here in Nebraska. And it, it drove me crazy then. It drives me crazy now. But also – it's the effort of going out and meeting people. We had Steve Warren on the show last summer and he has the Warren Academy. And when this staff went out and talked with him, he goes, that's the first time I've had a staff at Nebraska come and talk to me. And it seems kind of amazing considering how much D one talent has gone through that guy's yeah, it's, uh, organization. It's, it's pretty Gatto. impressive. It, it yeah. is pretty impressive. And, and, and so you, know, you got to make the connections. You got to be willing to go out there and just put in that kind of work. And some of this seems like it's almost like silly that it, it wasn't happening in the past. And so it's that's also the things. This isn't intended to be a, a negative Nebraska conversation. It's actually a thing that that excites me. This is the we're having this realism of this is these were the issues. This this is what this program dealt with. And the optimism is, I think this coaching staff is 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 addressing them. I think one of the reasons it's addressing them is I'm going to point back to Trev. Trev had time. He had a year and a half to observe things. I think Trev had a way that he wanted to see this program being run. If it's not being run the way he wanted it, then he's going to make that change, and he's going to hire someone that can create the vision that he has too. This is Matt Rule's program, but I also think it's Trev's, and I think that they are in in lockstep with each other, and that's the optimist in me likes everything about that. Yeah, and I mean this. The, please don't take anything I'm saying as as negativity at all. No, I, no, I, no, 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 no. I just you know, um, I feel that you know I personally have the you know the the ability to say, okay, yeah, this was not good. This needs to be improved, and that's fine. I think the ability to identify things that need to be improved upon and need to be you know mm. that need to be changed, like that's not a negative trait. In fact, it's very much the opposite to be able to say, wow, I really need to address this. Like that's huge. Like yeah. whether you're a program or a person, whatever. Um, I think that self-awareness is major. And Co- yeah, Coach Osborne was here for 25 seasons, and a lot of people think it was just a straight trajectory to, to winning championships. But he was the passing guru of college football in the 70s, and somewhere after losing to Oklahoma, is you know five straight times, and I think it was like eight out of his first nine times. Somewhere along the line, he's like, 
we need quarterbacks that can play like Oklahoma's quarterbacks. So I'm going to flip the, I'm going to flip the script. We're going to go from being a passing attack from Vince Ferragamo and Dave Hum and being the, the literally the, the passing guru of college football, we're going to be triple option. And then when we get into the nineties and we're running the five, two, we're going to, we're going to flip the script. We're going to switch that four, three. And by the way, we didn't fire any coaches to do it. Charlie McBride's a good defense. He's a great five, two defensive coordinator. He'll be a great four, three defensive coordinator. He's just a great defensive coordinator. And, but, but that point that you made about self-awareness coach Osborne along the way while winning nine and 10 games, by the way, wasn't like, you know, he had to go three and nine to say, hey, we need to make changes. He'd, he'd win nine, 10 games, but he still had those self-awareness at different times where it's like, okay, we're doing good, but, what do we need to do? What switches? And that's that realist in him. You know, I think he was as optimistic that, you know, we can win every game we play, but it was, there's a realism in you too, where it's like, you know, something's going wrong. How did we not score as much as we should have, even in a win you go back. If you were, if you were going uh, frost and I mentioned the three games that we all won by those huge point differentials, but how are you looking at it and going, we out yarded this team by 40, 400 yards and we beat them by four points. Like that's not right. Like, yeah. you know, something we got the W, but that something's not right there. And you got to have that, that self-awareness. How do you, how do you keep getting better? And that's the teams that can keep getting better through good times and bad. They're the ones that are going to win a lot. Absolutely. And yeah, being able, and I know it's, it's very difficult in, in today, in the modern age, you know, especially with, with social media and like being able to say, Hey, I was wrong that's a thing, you know, now if you're able to do that and no, 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 totally. And, and whether you are a coach or anybody, just, you know, you or I human being, um, being able to say, yeah, you know what? I was wrong, but I'm going to move to be better. That's the important follow-up. You, you know, the lesson, the lesson's important. It's not failing. Failing's okay. It's taking the lesson away from that, whatever that might be. Yeah. Well, this has been a great show, and and we even had little failures at the at times. I, I had an air rating guy. You're your coming right into dropped, it, dude. Your well, internet we off, and rebounded. We, we made it right through it, man. We we, we got better, and and it, it's taken us to this point now. We're at the parting shots, and it's the tradition that we do on the redcast. It's a tradition I've carried over to the fan forum. I always allow my guests to to, to leave us with that parting shot. So, Brandon Cavanaugh, you know, it's been great to have you on. Thank you so much, number one. Uh, Tell people where they can find you uh, and where they can read your stuff and, and where they can find you on social media and then take us out of here. Absolutely. Folks, uh, if you want to see my inane ramblings on Twitter, you can do so at the little uh, little tag there below at BKEV402. If you want to read my stuff on Athlon, you can go to athlonsports.com. Um, there, is a, there is a very specific link to my stuff in that uh, Twitter bio. Um Around there, I mean, you'll see me around, <laughs> but definitely like, like, uh, you know, like, like happen to get this show together. Feel free to reach out. I love talking to folks, whether it's through Twitter, DMs, whatever. Um, I am not great at Instagram and the like, but if you see me, please feel free to, to reach out. I'm happy to chat with you. Um, yeah, no, this has been fantastic. I was really looking forward to this all week. Like I had mentioned kind of coming in here. Um, this has been great. Be having the opportunity to kind of sit down and just kind of chill with you, have this opportunity to relax and not really go into, I mean, not hard. I mean, hardcore to a degree. It's a little mm -hmm. bit different than we expected, but no, this has been great. And I look forward to having these conversations with, you know, not just you in the future or the rest of the red casters, but seriously, everybody who's watching and everybody who uh, chose not to show up, we'll find them. We'll get them. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Brandon, for joining us. Red casters out there. 
Give him a follow at BCAV402 on Twitter. Read his stuff. Uh, he's at Athlon Sports. Um, and, and I just want to thank you again. And just remember, Redcasters, you too could be the next one to join us on the forum. Heard at Sports Network Production.